0: You know uh something i find when i'm doing a creative uh piece of writing or something like that is that um often i think god sort of wants to say yeah what are you doing about it barry (laughs) it's like you don't get off the hook just because you're writing it you have to act on it too and that happened for me the other day when i was writing this particular post about why did the why did the samaritan cross the road um when I happened to call up an acquaintance of mine who every now and again, I get to do some some tradesman type work for me. And uh, as we talked, he sort of said that he'd actually been in a personal uh, crisis, a bit of a crisis in his life. And so me being me, I, I, I gently uh, pressed a little bit further and, and found out what happened. and. And actually the the same thing that had happened to him um, happened to me uh, quite a few years ago and um, I could really feel for him uh, in my gut because I I knew exactly what sort of emotions he was probably going through and so I had like this deep connection and we we chatted for a bit longer and then we finished the call but um, Spirit wasn't having any of that (laughs) (laughs) So within the next hour I got little prompts um, that I I could do a bit more and I needed to do a bit more and so I thought well yeah I could have actually said to him you know call in for a coffee and a chat and just just you know I'd love to hear where he's at you know and then as you probably know yourself when you get little prompts like that you think of all the excuses not to cross the road as such, and invite um, those sort of people in, and um, so th- excuses came up in my mind. Oh, I'm too busy. Who's oh, too busy? Um, he might may- he might think I'm being overly intru- you know intrusive or nosy, and uh, I might know what not. I might not know what to say, you know. And when you get those perhaps you are like oh, I can't be bothered. No, it's too hard. And then I remembered the post that I was writing. (laughs) And basically I was a chicken. I was letting the the fear of the sky falling um, stop me from connecting. So I I sent him a text message and offered him a coffee and a chat, you know, if he wanted to call in. And he responded that he was doing okay. And he thanked me for the invite. But it was so important I felt that he knew that someone uh, had crossed the road to him someone who knew something of a struggle like you know because I did not know whether other people were doing that for him or not but I knew that I could and I knew that's something that I I really felt prompted to offer now how hard was that you know I didn't let fear stop a journey of love and could you do that you know you could couldn't you really you know and when I was back Um, when I first became a pastor back in 1998 I had the opportunity to spend some time with what I would call an old-school pastor. (laughs) Not many of them around now do I think. But uh, Mike Fish, that was his name, he was elderly and his daily walk was marked by uh, reading the Bible, reading classical spiritual writings, praying for his community, visiting people in their homes, making friendships, sharing the sacraments, helping people sort of connect with the ancient of days and his focus was not on building a super church. more so it was about building relationships uh, he had a small group that met in his home comprised mostly of people who struggle with mental illnesses uh, young people who are lost in the noise of life came to him for some sort of stability he he left me with a couple of deep thoughts Uh, revival number one is revival is not a true revival unless it changes the situation of the poorest of the poor and you know I I, we're having revival we're wanting revival and and more I think it's about getting a hyped up something but really leaves the poorest of the poor unchanged Um, the second thing was that he said always visit people in their homes and you'll connect better with them and I, I went and applied that and I, I visited so many people in their homes and um, I learnt so much about them and about what was happening. You know he was the man who had crossed the road, get into the ditch of struggle and um, tend to the wounds of the world. You know, And Jesus once told this parable um, about love and it's often referred to as the parable of the Good Samaritan. I prefer it to be the parable of the dehumanized man. <laughs> but here it is, if you haven't heard it before, before, um, listen in. Uh, on one occasion, an expert in the law, don't you love those experts in the law, uh, stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what's written in the law? Um, how do you read it? Give me the legal answer. <laughs> he didn't say that, but I did. Um, And so the guy said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus told the story. He said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes, bit him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, and when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and we'll talk about Samaritan soon. As he travelled, came where the man was, and he saw him, and he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring an oil and a wine, the wine. And when he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. And, you know, when we hear the word Samaritan, you know, we often think um, these days of someone who does good deeds. Uh, like the Samaritan in the story. Someone who cares for the poor, who does more than expected. And is generally the one that, sacrificially does what others many others don't. But to those early listeners of the story they would not have had that connection. You see Samaritans were people who lived in an area called Samaria, a central area of the land of Israel. But there was a lot of cultural and religious baggage these people carried. The Jews considered the Samaritans as dogs or half-breeds because um, they began to intermarry with the Assyrians after Assyrians fall to the, uh, after Israel's fall to Assyria. Contrary to what actually what the Bible said, don't intermarry um, with other people. So here were the Jews, pure in lineage and bloodline, but in amongst them, right within their geographical boundaries, were a group of people that had intermarried with the enemy. Yeah, the Samaritans were the ones you, you scapegoated on. Um, the ones on the outside of the group, the impure, the bastard sons and daughters of an illegitimate affair with a foreign lover. The Samaritans were a people to be avoided at all costs because just being in contact with them would make oneself religiously impure. People would avoid, avoid, avoid even walking into the territory. You know, you know, just take a look in the map that I've got on the on the blog post and you'll see how difficult it is would have been to avoid going through this territory. Yeah, you know, How much energy would have been expended to cross to the other side of the road and avoid contact? Jesus didn't do that. He, he saw no religious boundaries where love could and couldn't walk. And in John 4.4 4, it says that he had to go through Samaria. His followers would have wanted to go around the territory. Not Jesus. He wanted to go through it. Be part of it. Uh, for Jesus, there was no, and, and there isn't any demarcation zones and boundaries of who was in and who was out. <sighs> do, you, do you have someone you avoid? <laughs> Perhaps someone you look down on, a people grouping. Uh, so let's be honest. Call them Samaritans. You know. Um, Perhaps you might have something actually in your own personality that you despise, that, that, that shadow that you want no one to see, a place of um, supposed impurity, uh, shame or guilt and we despise this part of ourselves, uh, we loathe it and uh, Jesus wants to walk through this area too and bring the news, of the good news of unification, of bringing all of it all together. And so in this parable, we, you know, we discover both a desire to avoid and a desire to connect. You know, the religiously pure and legally correct were too afraid, too chicken to cross the road. The one who connected was the one who knew his humanity and the need of others who were willing to cross his ditch. People like us doing things like this. A few years ago I read the, the original of, of Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. Now it's a long book it's very thick <laughs> it's not a quick read and really the stage play and movie just don't do justice to the beauty of the story um, that the original brings to us and there's so many little stories within the larger story of that book and um, there is one priest one, one story about a priest and his desire to visit some poor people in the mountains. Um, but there were robbers, or brigands, as we'll find out, on this journey. And the town's mayor warns him of the perils of crossing the road. But the bishop is not a chicken. <laughs> uh, and I'm just going to read you uh, this excerpt. And as you do, well, you may want to listen to it or three times and then sort of meditatively see yourself watching these two in conversation just just listen and this is the bishop he says there exists yonder in the mountains a tiny community no bigger than that which I have not seen for three years they are my good friends those gentle and honest shepherds they own one goat out of every 30 that they tend They make very pretty woolen cords of various colours and they play the mountain airs on little flutes with six holes. They need to be told of the of the good God now and then. I love that. What would they say to a bishop who is afraid? What would they say if I did not go? And then the mayor comes in and he says, But the brigands, who are the, the robbers and thieves. Monsignor, the brigands. And the bishop says, Hold! I must think of that. You are right. I may meet them. They too need to be told of the good God. <laughs> and the mayor says, But Monseigneur, there is a band of them, a flock of wolves. A flock of wolves. And the bishop says, Monsieur le Maire, it may be that it is of this very flock of wolves that Jesus has constituted me the shepherd, who knows the ways of providence. The mayor says, uh, They will rob you. Monseigneur, i have nothing the bishop says they will kill you the mayor the bishop says an old good man of a priest who passes among passes along his mumbling his prayers to what purpose and then the the mayor says oh mon dieu which is oh my god what if you should meet them (laughs) sorry for the emphasis (laughs) and the bishop says I should beg alms of them for my poor. Well, ask, for, ask for gifts or money. And the mayor says, Do not go, Monsignor. In the name of heaven, you are risking your life. And to which the bishop replies, Monsieur le maire, is that really all? I am not in the world to guard my own life, but to guide souls. Whoa, that's good, eh? And that was from Victor Hugo, Les Mis. But, and then, and then, um, Nine paragraphs later, we read a reflection from the priest after visiting these people in the mountains. And while he was there, these robbers and thieves returned to him some church property that had been stolen. And it's enormous wealth. It's huge wealth. And so by going there, he he receives an incredible gift back. And then um, he surmises at this, this interaction. He says these things let us never fear robbers nor murderers those are dangers from without petty dangers let us fear ourselves Prejudices are the real robbers vices are the real murderers the great dangers lie within ourselves what matters it what threatens our head or our purse let us think only of what threatens or that which threatens our souls Whew. Wow, Victor Hugo, amazing stuff. So, why did the Samaritan cross the road? Well, I think there was a connection between his humanity and the humanity of another, someone that was in the ditch. The Samaritan was someone who would have known the dehumanizing effect of people's prejudices. You know, to see someone in a ditch, naked, half dead, and alone was an invite to connect with someone like himself his own self and when we know our own humanity we can connect with the brokenness of another we can listen without saying a word because the words have already been spoken through tears you know people like us do things like this why the chicken didn't well it was fear perhaps the sky would fall in you know, for the Pharisee and the Levite there would have been an internal voice speaking a warning you know, the bishop had that voice of authority, the mayor, saying it wasn't safe. Perhaps he would get robbed and killed. You know, perhaps is such a sly and sneaky word that can destroy connection. You know, think of someone that is yonder and that requires a visit. And soon you'll have a little voice coming to you warning of the dangers, the perils, the perhaps, just like I did with, with my friend. He says it's easier, isn't it, to stay on the safe and familiar broad path. Yeah, for the bishop, every meeting with everyone was a moment for a possible connection. <laughs> there was no difference between a mayor, a thief, or a shepherd. What's your Samaria like? I remember once asking a pastor who had been thrown into a ditch of despair this simple question. How is it with your soul? He looked at me kind of strange because no one else had asked him that. Everyone wanted to solve the problem. Sort the mess. Get him back on his feet. I was more interested in the inner Samaria walk that Spirit was taking him on and where Jesus was meeting him in this moment of distress. So again, what is your inner Samaria like? How is it with your soul? See, I don't want you to be alone and half dead with it. As I said uh, earlier that um, many of us have parts within ourselves that we most likely despise. Those places of bitterness, resentment, prejudice, shame, guilt. um, The areas others have judged us on and we continue to judge ourselves. You know, most people walk around those places. uh, they, They avoid getting entangled in the weeds. Perhaps they fear getting robbed and beaten themselves. They say, uh, let the professionals deal with it, (laughs) and the professionals are too busy or walk (sighs) by. Jesus instead, he takes disciples, um, the fishermen and the tax collectors, the the illiterate, through the heart of Samaria and he invites us to do the same. He uses uh, those Samaritan parts of the heart to connect with fellow ditch dwellers. Can I enter your (laughs) Samaria? Can Barry walk through your Samaria with you? You know, currently um, we have um, a mental health crisis going on. And here in New Zealand there is a a demand for the government to do more, 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 more. And uh, wherever you're reading this, it's probably the same. The demand for services exceeds the supply and whenever I hear these calls, I, I remember what a psychologist told me about 30 years ago. He related back when he was young, there would always be an older woman sitting on the front porch of a house on his street. And uh, the children would come home from school and she'd talk with him. And young mothers would come and ask questions. And uh, she was, in his words, the medicine man or woman of the neighbourhood. And this this porch, this deck, was a place for her to hand down the heritage, the values, the truths. And she had watch over the little ones. People knew who to go to when they needed help. And she knew who needed a kind word or two and some home cooking. I think we might have lost this, I'm afraid. Hopefully not. People who watch out for those who are about to be robbed and beaten. People who climb in the ditch with the robbed and beaten and do what their so-called unprofessional hands can do. Instead we train the professionals and refer on when things get uncomfortable or they might feel like Samaria. Look I'm not saying we don't need professional counselors and doctors and nurses and all those good people but what would it be like if For every professional there were a thousand medicine men and women sitting on their decks as such uh, chewing over the struggles of life with us that you know in your street wherever you live there's someone you know that that does that just has a deck and they sit there and people come and have a chat and yeah it's a community place Yeah, you know there might be might be some training that these people might like to have like how to help people in their dark holes uh, they might, learn, might need to learn not to faz them, which is fix, advise, save or set one straight. They, m- they may have to have a few skills like problem solving or under stress, understanding stress and what to do about it. And I suppose that's part of the mission of turning the page, you know, to equip and encourage people to jump in the ditch and connect by people like you. So I'm going to ask you, can you be a Samaritan Bishop today? And go yonder to those who need a visit listen to those voices of perhaps and step wisely another question would you like some time on my deck with me (laughs) I have a zoom deck which is a couple of chairs and you're welcome to chat totally free here's some questions whom do you listen to and whom do you trust trust is essential to listening. Why do we believe the myth that poor people don't know anything and can't be trusted? Where do you really find more truth about society? At the top or the bottom? Are the best solutions conceived in the corridors of power or in the neighbourhoods? Only those willing to stand close enough to listen will ever hear those close enough, closest to the problem. Jim Wallace we live in the shelter of each other it's a Celtic saying here's a little bit more Victor Hugo there is a soul yonder which is lonely and he added deep in his own mind I owe him a visit that was from the bishop again C.S. Lewis says that the load or weight or burden of my neighbours glory should be laid daily on my back a load so heavy that only humility can carry it and the backs of the proud will be broken there are no ordinary people. Yay, no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal, and our charity must be a real and costly love. See his Lewis. Some questions. What are the hesitations that perhaps, this will happen that stop you from crossing the road? Two: in the story of the bishop and the mayor, what captured you the most? Three At the start of this post, I told you a story of where I crossed the road to a friend in need. Who is someone who you need to cross the road and go and visit as such? Uh, I hope you found this uh, helpful and challenging, as it was to me. <laughs> and uh, if you'd like to email me, I just so enjoy getting um, emails from people who read, watch and listen to um, what I put out each week. The email address is Barry at turningthepage.co.nz and i look forward to hearing from you and uh, just a big thank you to everyone that that throws a few dollars in the donation pot (laughs) and that helps uh, keep turning the page going if you want to be part of that community it's uh, turningthepage.co.nz forward slash support Hey, and until next week, I pray that you'll be uh, sensitive to those times when there's an invite to cross the road. It may just be um, texting a friend saying, hey, you want to catch up for coffee? Okay, see you next week. Bye.